we go. You're listening to Rumination Thursday, Law and Gospel, on this October the 27th in the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and with me is Pastor Wes Reimnitz, who once more has found a relevant article that we can be talking about, an email he sent to me, and it's because of this coming Sunday. Can you explain that, Pastor Wes Reimnitz? Well, of course, Sunday is October 30th, and on the 31st is the eve of, of the Halloween of All Saints Day. And it was on October 31st that we we date the Reformation started with Luther nailing the 95 Theses on the church door of Wittenberg. And, uh, you know, it's been roughly 500 years since it's happened. So the question I posed that I went looking for is, uh, do we need the Reformation for the 21st century? Yes. And this is an article by a pastor, Thaddeus Williams, who says, is the Reformation theology still relevant today? Absolutely. And what are the reasons that he thinks is still relevant? Well, it remains that we have a big God and salvation is found in him alone. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. He gives two, three of the souls, faith alone and uh, grace alone and in Christ alone. He didn't really get to the fourth one, but yeah, he does. Pretty... He does in the first paragraph. Oh, okay. And we, oh, know, we that know this because Scripture alone. Alone, yes. That's our fourth one. So you so get the four loans. Yes. Already in, in the first paragraph. And his complaint in the world today, and that's going on all over the place, is people are trying to determine what is good and true about God in their own minds. But his point is, no, God determines what is good and true about him, and that is from his word. And he thinks that the biggest problem in the church today, and I found this kind of interesting, that many of us have too small a view of who God is. How does he explain that? Well, we shrunk him to being a, an infinite being. We we have diminished his glory and put him in small, manageable boxes. You know, God should act this way. Uh, one of, one that I think of when I when I read this was uh, the God of Prosperity. You know. We we do certain things, and God will prosper us to be rich, and intends for us to be rich. You hear that in some of the, the the churches today. We've mentioned this before on the program that part of the problem in today's society, people are creating a God in their image, rather than recognizing that their originally were in the image of God, lost that image, 
and it is being replaced through faith in Jesus Christ. They don't like the image of God as found in the Bible. And that's why they want to have a God who thinks like they think, feels like they feel. And that's why they said that's why he should be light. So he calls for not just a new reformation, he calls for a re-reformation. Now, how does he understand that? Well, uh, the church in the 24th century needed to recapture the, the sense of grandeur of God, how vast and awesome he is. We need a biblical view of his glory. We need a biblical view of his sovereignty. We need a biblical view to say that he's transcendent, holy, and intimately relational. Kind of reminds me of Waldo Emerson back in his day, the, the transcendentalism that they had back then, that God was created the world, set it off into his own motion and to, to kind of run by itself. And really what, what he's saying in this article is we've done a little bit of that and we need to recapture uh, what God has done, the great things that he has done. And now let science take over in the sense of evolution and other types of things of that nature. Yes. He makes a comment that as true worship happens, our marriages will get better. All our churches will have fewer scandals and our joy will be maximized in Jesus Christ. How can he say those things? Because we put Christ at the, at the, at the very center of these things. It kind of reminds me of, of the prayer I had before I met my wife. I, I, I prayed, Lord, that, that you send me somebody that loves, loves you first in, in, in our lives. And I said it would, wouldn't also be bad if she was also good looking at the same time. And I, I keep saying I was blessed greatly on both, both, both avenues. Yes. In other words, there are a lot of surveys that indicate that marriages where the husband and wife attend church with their children regularly, that those marriages last a long time and that they're very helpful, and they're less breakup, less divorce. And of course, there would be fewer scandals in the church because when, well, what did, uh, yeah, it was Walther. He, he wrote a tract entitled, The Sheep Judge the What? Uh, the Shepherd. Yes. And a lot of lay, laity don't realize that, that God has given them the responsibility of checking out the pastor. No pastor should be embarrassed when questions come. For example, last week I had a Bible study on Proverbs, and there were two people who had questions about what I said, and I was able to answer them. Uh, one of them was we were talking about Cain and Abel. And remember God, after Cain killed Abel, sent 
chain away uh, into a kind of isolationism with uh, those of his family. And the questioner asks the question, well, wait a minute, where did Cain get all these family members? Uh, how did we answer that, you think? He married one of his sisters. Yes, there was no doubt in that day. And Adam lived hundreds of years, had a number of children, and there was not a health issue for marriage between family members at that time. I believe that started with uh, Noah and following. But we were able to answer that question because in Genesis, it has a lineage of Adam's family. And it's really quite long where it talks about his children, his grandchildren, etc. So that's what needs to be done is pastors have to give proper answers to questions that the laity have. You know who I'd like to see in the lineage in, in heaven besides Christ of Adam's lineage? Yes. Enoch. And what do you mean Enoch. by that? Well, we told we were told there in Genesis that he walked with God and he was no more, and he 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 was taken to heaven, and he was a devout righteous person. So it would be someone that that you'd want to look up and and talk to while you're in heaven. Yeah, one of my favorite posters put up by Concordia Publishing House was at the top was Adam. At the bottom was Jesus, and then all the people that led to Jesus. You know, the the the, the tribes, uh, Judah, sure. and all of this. And, and you found out that a number of the people uh, were not in the lineage. Like Moses was not in the lineage to Jesus, but two women were, one of them being a prostitute. Uh, who, and both of them Gentiles. Yes. And uh, the prostitute was the one who protected the spies when they came to Canaan to check it out. So what this article does, it gives a few examples of how during the history of the church, the view of God was essentially shrunk. And what's the first one that he gives? The first one is that the Pharisees, they shrunk the view of God by essentially saying at the end of the day, our rule keeping and our mile long list does do's and don'ts. And that's where we get our righteousness. That, that fits in, by the way, with the Bible study that you did uh, for Sunday school on Ezra and Nehemiah. Yes, because at the at the seminary we we learned that their devotion to the law of God starts with with uh, the rebuilding of the temple there under Ezra and Nehemiah's day, and we're roughly four hundred and thirty some years out before the birth of Christ, and 
in that doing was the rise of the Pharisees. Yes. And when he says their rule keeping in my long list of do's and don'ts, in Philippians 3, Paul does a listing of why from the point of view of the flesh he should have been saved. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He uh, looked for Christians to persecute them. He obeyed all the ceremonial laws. He was perfect in that. He was looked up, and yet he takes all of those works and considers them as garbage in comparison to what Jesus Christ has done for him because he was under the impression that he was self-righteous when he was not. And that, that, that's somewhat of a problem that we, we, we run across today where we, we think that by our prayers or by some act that we might do that it, it merits our way to heaven yes. or gets us less time in purgatory. Then this debate kind of continues, according to the article, later in the first century, but this time it wasn't between Jesus and the Pharisees, but between the Apostle Paul and the Judaizers. Could you explain what that meant? Well, they were a group of Jews that, that uh, essentially were telling John, Gentiles, the non-Jews, that if they were wanted to get saved, they needed to supplement God's grace with circumcision and adhere to all kinds of rituals within the Jewish culture. Hence, uh, Paul's epistle to the Galatians. It contradicted that, that yes. view of the Judaizers. And right. he confronted well, them and revealed that the message of salvation was a different gospel altogether. And, and that's what this article is saying, that a lot of people don't realize the gospel. How many times have you taught youth confirmation and especially adult confirmation, and you say things that the people who are attending seem never to have heard about? Uh, quite a few. Uh, the one I'm really I'm reminded of is, is the mother and her daughter that were uh, former Roman Catholics that were taking taking class. And we get to the second article of the, of the Apostles' Creed, and and uh, which talks about Christ, his suffering, his death, and resurrection. And you could just see like a weight been lifted off of their shoulders in class. I mean, it was so visible that uh, that now they have found that they didn't have to do anything. Christ had done it for them. Yes, we had uh, occasion when we would pick up students from Washington University, which was close to the church, and drive them to worship services. And there was a young woman and she was not Missouri Synod, she was Elka, and she started attending. And she began to tell her mother, who was Elka, about what she was hearing in church and, of course, Bible study. And the mother visited us, and before she left the university, both of them 
had left the Elko Church and joined a Missouri Synod congregation because of the teaching that they found so refreshing and comforting in true Lutheranism. And of course, at the very center of that is the word. What I'm often reminded of is in Romans where it says that faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. That uh, when, when we explain these things uh, of Lutheranism, what we are talking about is that very Word of God and who Jesus is and what He's done for us. Yeah, we encourage people to read regularly Luther's small catechism because if you read the catechism, you'd soon discover that it is really a quote from the scriptures. And that's what's so important about proper theology. Theology is two Greek words, theos, meaning God, and logos, meaning the word of God. So theology is about the word of God. And it's such a shame that many Christians don't understand the word of God. Now, this problem, oh, go ahead. And, and also singing through our hymnal, uh, as you and uh, Pastor Smith brought out on Tuesday about uh, hymn 555, Salvation Unto Us Has Come, a great explanation of Romans chapter 3. All right. Then the article moves in church history to the 4th century. And what's happening in that century? Well, there's a guy by the name of Plagiarist. Plagiarist. There's a monk, Plagiarist, who who said that uh, the power is in and of himself to choose salvation, that, that mankind has the ability to do it. And who argued with him on that? Well, that was St. Augustine. Augustine claimed that he had strayed off the biblical course and down a dead end of of works-based salvation. And so Augustine fought to bring the popular theology of the day back to the Bible alone, back to God who does all the saving. And actually, the 4th century Roman Catholic Church actually sided with Augustine and deemed Pelagianism as heretical, which we do today. A person cannot choose to be saved. That's not an act of the will. It's faith that's a gift given by God. You know, and that, what's interesting, I looked, took a look at, as you guys had talked about, uh, salvation unto us has come. And in the hymnal, you know what Bible verse they they refer to? If you look at 555. I found 40 by of them. Well, I found 40 of them. But it says here, by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourself, That's of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works. But uh, that no one may boast, which is Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Yes, I'm giving some thought of making up sheets 
of hymnal 555 and handing them out to the congregation. Why? Because it is such a beautiful summary of the Lutheran confessions, especially the Augsburg Confession that talks about justification by grace through faith. Now, in the 16th century, we find that the Roman Catholic Church had slid from a God-centered view back into a man-centered view. And what was one of their teachings that we also talked about last Thursday? Well, one could buy a plenary indulgence. Plenary indulgence is is a complete forgiveness of sins uh, on a sheet of paper. It was a passport to heaven. And one could also visit a number of sacred sites and gaze on the relics of St. Peter and others. And that whole movement was somehow granted you uh, indulgences or forgiveness of sins by doing something. By human volition. And that means by the will of man. And then you finally get Luther showing up on the scene standing in Augustine's same shoes, the same shoes that Paul stood in during the first century. And Luther contended for a biblical view of salvation in which all the credit goes to God and his amazing grace. So Luther helped start the Protestant Reformation how? Well, it was with the 95 Theses. You know, what's interesting is Luther was an Augustinian monk. Yes. So he he was well-versed in what Augustine had taught. There is a survey that is mentioned here about the question that you are asking professing Christians how to get to heaven. Is it by good works? Or is it an act of grace? What did they find? Well, that's 73% of Protestants. And I would probably lump in a bunch of Catholics at that, at that too, that embrace that, that you get into heaven based on your good works. Yes. In fact, many of today's Protestants, he said, have embraced the very anti-gospel doctrine that Protestantism originated to protest. And it's the same pattern that we've seen throughout the history of the church. And we're really seeing that today when people think they can live in sinful lives that are unrepentant towards them and think that that's what God wants. So we get pulled downward into our self-powered salvation attempts with gravitational force. So what question is raised? What question is raised? Who are the Luthers and the Augustinians and the Pauls of the 21st century? You know, who who today rises up and talks like them? And in a sense, we do that every Sunday in our worship service, don't we? Yes, we and I would say that our president of our church, President Harrison, uh, 
is a wonderful example of the teaching of Luther, Augustine, and Paul in the 21st century. He often has a lot of articles in what's called the Lutheran Witness, the official publication of our church. And in those articles, do you ever see him professing something that is contrary to Scripture? Uh, no, he always says Scripture is October Lutheran Witness. He has a great article in there that talks about, you know, what we as, as Lutherans believe in, in relation to the Word of God and in our salvation of Christ. And it's a great article to put over and against what the other churches that they listen, listen in that October uh, explanation of what they believe, teach, and confess. Yes, there are a number of books, and one of them was by one of my members, Dr. Thomas Manteuffel, a professor at Concordia Seminary, who wrote a book about the differences in the different religions. And while he agrees that you can still be a, a Baptist, a Roman Catholic, a Presbyterian, and still go to heaven, he points out the differences that they have with the biblical doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's something that would be a great Bible study to kind of go through helping people to understand the difference between Reformation thinking and what is often taught in Scripture today. And it's a reminder for us, you know, as we celebrate Reformation this weekend, that we keep in mind that it's faith alone, grace alone, word alone, and Christ alone. That the, that's that's the basis of our Reformation and the basis for the 21st century. Yes. The way I like looking at today's society, when we go to the churches we're preaching at in Illinois, we pass a lot of churches which have signs on them, not only Lutheran, but also Roman Catholic. And it's so sad to see the signs talking about the law. One said, be patient and loving. That's all it said, as though oh, that's my. the way of salvation. Thanks so very much, Pastor Reimnitz, in helping us with a great article about the need for Reformation today. I'm Tom Baker, and that was Wes Reimnitz. Join us tomorrow for Open Mic. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.